Please be seated for our Bible readings. The first reading can be followed on page 710. I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 to 9. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could, have, who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Second reading can be followed on page 81 of the New Testament, Luke 13, verses 1 to 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. All those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig round it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rosemary. In a, in a moment, we'll begin. Hopefully, you've got uh, a handout that you were given when you, when you came in. Um, I'm going to do something slightly different just to prepare you at the, at the end of my message um, this morning. Um, the text forces us to look at some difficult issues this morning, sometimes that are perhaps alien to us as human beings, and so we will allow some, some silence before we sing our song after, after I've finished, I'll just close with a short closing prayer and then just allow you some silence to allow God to speak to you. So as we begin, shall we pray? <coughs> Lord, would you open the scriptures to us this morning? As we read your written word and hear this spoken word, may we above all see the living word. 
the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. I wonder, have you ever been falsely accused of something? Or have you ever suffered some injustice in your life? Have you ever found yourself where you're in a position where you have to defend yourself against a charge and a claim, and you know you did not do it, no matter what the evidence may seem to suggest? It could have happened to you quite innocently sometimes as a child, a sibling rivalry perhaps, or a playground bust-up. More seriously, it might have happened to you as an adult when the stakes were higher and a deep friendship is lost or something goes down at work and you're made the scapegoat that we like to have so much these days. Or maybe it got even worse than that and the accusation goes public and you become subject, if you like, to lies being told about you in the printed press or in today's world, it's all over social media. And you face the risk that someone might use it over you in the future. I wonder, do any of you know what that feels like? I know I do. And so too... Just Jesus. Of course, for some of us, it might not have happened to us, but it might have happened to someone we love, and that can be even worse. And when that false accusation or sense of injustice occurs, we often feel hurt and misunderstood. We often rack our brains going over in the DVD record of our mind thinking, how did we get here? And we can become self-absorbed thinking, well, everyone's talking about me. And what will people think? After all, there's no smoke without fire. And we're hoping someone desperately will believe us. And we often face a choice in that moment. Do we fight or flight? Do we hit or hide? Do we shout or sprint? What we see increasingly today is many complain when they're wronged. We raise our voice in protest when we're abused and we tell our stories with every expectation that perhaps other people will share our outrage. Yet our reading today from Isaiah reminds us of the approach of the suffering servant when he was falsely accused and suffered huge injustice. He chose the sound of silence. The silence of the Lamb. During Lent, we've been looking at this very famous and significant reading, this poem from the Old Testament book of Isaiah that describes a suffering servant of the Lord. And I've mentioned to you that the New Testament writers saw huge importance in this reading, Huge importance in this prophecy written centuries before Jesus was actually born. And this saw such importance because it gave one of the clearest explanations of one meaning of the cross. Of why Jesus died and what his death accomplished. You may also remember that I said this is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. You'll find 34 references to it. Not only did the disciples, 
Not only did the other early church leaders identify this suffering servant with Jesus, Jesus himself did it. And so last week I I showed you a passage from 1 Peter 2 that showed you how important this passage was to Peter's explanation of Christianity. This week I want to show you another passage so you can see how important it is. This time it's from Acts chapter 8. If you want to follow it, it's on page 135 of the New Testament um, part of the Bible. It's at a time when the early church was under intense persecution in Jerusalem. So much so that they had to leave their homes. But actually, this particular conversation and encounter led to the birth of Christianity in the continent of Africa. It's the story we meet of Philip who earlier we found in Acts is a deacon in the church. But because of that persecution, he's forced to flee Jerusalem. And he finds himself on the road. And so we pick it up in verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. About whom is the prophet Isaiah speaking? Is it about him or is it about someone else? And then what does Philip do? He speaks to him about the good news of Jesus. You can see the significance coming out of how important this Old Testament passage is. So if we survey this week these three verses from Isaiah, what do we see? Well, this is what I saw when I surveyed them this week. Remember verses 1 to 3 talk about the story of Jesus' life. And verses four to six begin to talk about what happened to Jesus as he's led out to die on the cross. And now in verses seven to nine, we have a continuation of Jesus' suffering until his death. But the word I surveyed the most was the word silence. I saw and heard the silence, the silence of the Lamb. Despite oppression and affliction, we read, not once but twice in verse 7. Yet he did not open 
his mouth. Despite execution, we read, he did not open his mouth. If we were to move to Jesus' trial, and if you were to read the gospel accounts of Jesus' trial, this is what you'd find when Jesus was questioned. This is what you'd find in, in Matthew's gospel. You've got all the references there, so you can look at them afterwards. But when Jesus was accused, this time by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they made against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that Pilate was greatly amazed. If we were to read Mark's account of Jesus' trial, he would tell us that when Jesus was questioned by the high priest, he was silent. If we were to read Luke's account as well, he would say that when Jesus was questioned at length by Herod, he gave no answer. Despite doing nothing wrong, we read that it was by a perversion of justice he was taken away. And there was no deceit in his mouth. At Jesus' trial, the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus, were told to put him to death, but they found none. In Luke's Gospel, we read that Pilate, not once, not twice, but three times, said to the chief priests, leaders and people, I've not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither has Herod. Indeed, he's done nothing to deserve death. And of course, we know the reaction of the crowds to this ruling was not the sound of silence. It was the sound of two words. Crucify him. Crucify him. This is why we know Jesus knows exactly how we feel when we're falsely accused or suffer injustice because the crucifixion story reminds us the judicial process could find nothing, not a thread of evidence to convict Jesus. We live in a world today, don't we, where words, certain military-style words have entered our vocabulary for certain killings that happen that are unlawful. Words like extraordinary rendition and extrajudicial killing, when kind of people disappear, or imprisoned, or even executed without the due process of law. Well, here's a more familiar one that we might use today of Jesus' trial and execution. It was the black ops of the worst kind. It's still the silence. The silence of the Lamb. Why did Jesus remain silent? Why did he just stay silent? When I surveyed the reading and the crucifixion story, there was only one reason. It's called love. It was because Jesus loves us, he listens in silence and is determined to pursue this life's calling to die willingly for you and for me. I remember when I was at university, the, the first time round, I pinned a poster 
on the door of the halls of residence that I was living in so that anyone who knocked on the door would, would see it. It kind of summed up Jesus' words with these phrases. How much does Jesus love you? This much. And he stretched out his arms and died. Let us never be mistaken. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It wasn't the soldiers guarding him and their weapons that held Jesus to the cross. It was never the shrieks of the crowd that held Jesus to the cross. It was quite simply his love for you and me that held him there. His love is seen in the silence. The silence of the Lamb. So if that's why Jesus stays silent, why the lamb metaphor? Well, when I surveyed the reading this week, I found a link. A link from this passage way back in time to a passage, a very famous passage in Exodus. And I just wonder if if kind of Philip, when he was explaining the story of Isaiah 53 to get to Jesus, whether he went back to this story, I don't know. It's the very famous passage of when God speaks to Moses in the burning bush. When God calls Moses to lead the people of God out of slavery in Egypt, he says these words to Moses. I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. You know, there are lots of similarities between that verse and verse 7 of Isaiah 53. The word misery is the same Hebrew root as the word afflicted. The word taskmasters is the same word as oppressed. The word sufferings is also used of the servant in this passage. You can have a look at the references afterwards. They're on there. But going further, what was at the heart of the Exodus story? At the very center of the Exodus story was a lamb because that's how their freedom from slavery came about. Remember the story? How obstinate Pharaoh was that no matter how many attempts... Moses gave him to let the Israelites go. He would not let them go. It was only when the angel of death killed every firstborn son in Egypt that he let the Israelites go. Now that same fate would have happened exactly to the Israelites if each family had not killed a lamb and marked the equivalent of their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And when the angel of death passed over, each house, if he saw the blood, he would pass over the house and it led to the Israelites' freedom. That's what Isaiah is thinking about as he foresees the time in the future of a new exodus which Jesus and the New Testament writers saw with Jesus' death on the cross of a lamb being substituted in the place of the people as Jesus is cut off in the land of the living for the transgression of the people. Remember what did John the Baptist call Jesus the first time he saw him? Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or as Peter would write about the crucifixion, years later he would say this, 
you know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. It should lead us to be speechless in that song of 15 years ago or so, lost in wonder, love and prayers that Jesus Christ who dies in silence, the silence of the Lamb. So what does God want us to do today? What does God want us to do if we find ourselves in a position of being falsely accused or or suffering an injustice? How does his silence relate to how we should act? Well, let me give you a, a Bible passage to live by and perhaps an example from our world to follow. The passage is from 1 Peter chapter 2, which is actually, if you carry on reading the verses, it's just all linked into Isaiah 53, and Peter will, will quote from it. If you want to follow it, it's on page 250 in the New Testament part of your Bibles. And it goes like this. For it's God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. For it is to your credit, if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you were beaten for doing wrong, where is the credit in that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. So here's four quick life lessons perhaps to survey and follow when we might be falsely accused or or suffering injustice so we can follow in Jesus' steps to look at this passage and how we should follow. I think the first one is this, be patient. Which is often what we don't want to be. As I wrote, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. In other words, the patience of a sheep when it's getting its hair cut. And the natural reaction is to not be patient. To jump in. But to be patient. The second is to be wise. If you were to read the crucifixion stories through, you'll find that on occasions Jesus did speak. And I find in, in those moments what we say and do speaks volumes. It either silences the accusers or it makes us look foolish. As Jesus would say on another occasion in Matthew's Gospel, we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The third thing I'd say, be patient, be wise. Never retaliate. We often want to, but when Jesus was falsely accused and suffered injustice, even when violence was committed against him, his words were, Father, forgive. Father, forgive. And then fourthly, Never get aggressive. Never make threats. 
With Jesus, there was simply the sound of silence, the silence of the Lamb. And it spoke volumes because it turned this hardened Roman centurion to declare, surely this man was the Son of God. He was and still is one of the most famous faces in Britain. He's lived in the public spotlight for more than 60 years. A heartthrob to some, an inspiration to others, a national institution to treasure. Believe it or not, I'm told he's actually been here and sat just about there. Yet on the 14th of August 2014, his life changed forever when his privacy was ended and he was accused of an act he did not commit. He became live bait for all. He suffered the pain first of a public trial by media and the social media that still goes on today, only to be told two years later his case would never reach trial. I think the words used were insufficient evidence to prosecute, but kind of leaves a bad taste in the air I will ask a lawyer sometime to explain what that means. But what struck me the most, though, about Sir Cliff Richard's reaction was the sound of his silence, of how he waited patiently, hoping and praying for justice. What struck me was of his wisdom. Like Jesus, he wasn't completely silent. He chose to defend himself when the kind of legal action against him was finished. But he never, though, retaliated. He never got aggressive. He never made threats. He was simply an example to follow, of following in Jesus' footsteps. But we leave Isaiah today with these words. You know, when bodies were crucified, normally they were just thrown on a rubbish tip, because that's what happened to criminals. But all four gospel writers record that Jesus' body was taken down and put in the new tomb of a rich man named Joseph that Isaiah refers to here. And there Jesus lay in silence. The silence of the Lamb. Let us pray. So unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish because of his death in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty power and authority, both now and always.